You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There's a great soul harvest that takes place during the seven years of tribulation. I mean, think about it. With all of these judgments, these cataclysmic events, it's almost as if God is pulling out the security blankets from underneath all men. And people don't have any other alternative except to turn to God for their help. They cry out to God for their help. So even in judgment, think about it. We see God's mercy and God's grace. God tempers His judgment is wrath with mercy and with grace. Rich or poor, powerful or insignificant, knowledgeable or simple, good or evil, God's judgment doesn't discriminate. All will face the deserved judgment for sin and disbelief while on earth and in the days of the tribulation. Yet, as Pastor Mike teaches today, God is a God of abundant mercy. God rejoices and welcomes any who turn to Him in faith. He forgives and offers salvation to any who believe in the sacrifice of His Son Jesus for them. People who turn to God in their desperation during the tribulation will experience mercy. Here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 6 as he begins his message, Revelation's Mercy Chapter. to it. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We'll pick up where we left off last time. And last time, if you remember, we've gotten through half of chapter 6 here in the book of Revelation. We'll go through the remainder of chapter 6, and then we'll move into chapter 7 and cover chapter 7 in its entirety as well. So truly, we got a lot of ground to cover. And this message, the title is Revelation's Mercy Chapter. And I'm particularly thinking of chapter 7. Uh, when I've given this message, that title, because truly chapter 7 is Revelation's Mercy chapter. But all of what we will be reading about, discussing, is describing events which will take place during the Great Tribulation period. Okay, so let's begin where we left off last time, and that would be in chapter 6 and verse 9. Now remember, this section here in the book of Revelation is describing the loosening of the seven seals that we found on that document, which represents the title deed to earth, which now is in the hands of Jesus. And with the loosening of the first four seals, we have the revealing of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? And what each one of those riders represent. And we'll talk some about that. We'll rehearse. We'll go back over some of those are things that they represent in just a moment. But anyway, that's where we left off last time. And so we begin there in verse 9. 
which is the loosening of the fifth seal. So with that said, let's go ahead and read verse 9. Now when he, Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, and yes, there is an altar in heaven, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O God, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. Okay, so with the opening of the fifth seal, we have what has been described as the cry of the martyrs. Okay, so who is this group of individuals that we find under the altar of God? Well, that these souls were pictured as under the altar of God in heaven, there in verse 9, I believe that the emphasis is, and it is very suggestive, that their lifeblood was poured out as an offering to God. I think it represents the sacrifice of the martyrs. This idea and translation is drawn from the book of Leviticus in chapter 4 and verse 7, where God is giving the priests the instructions on how to go about to offer the various sacrifices. And in Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 7, we read, And he, that is the priest, shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. And so it is probably best for us to see what's being depicted for us here in chapter 6, here in the book of Revelation, as the cry of all martyrs right from the very beginning of time who were killed for their faith in God and His truth. That is, the martyrs for all time. And I want you to also notice the cry of this group of people. They're crying out for vengeance. And yes, their cry will be responded to by God. Vengeance, in fact, will be theirs, but not now. Notice the way that God uh, responds here. He encourages them, uh, verse 11, to rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And God here is probably thinking about those believers who will come out of the great tribulation period and are martyred for their faith by the, by the Antichrist during the seven years of tribulation. But we'll leave that to one of our future studies. Okay, so that's what takes place with the loosening of the fifth seal. Let's go on. There's one more seal that's found upon that scroll representing the title deed to earth. Let's pick up now in verse 12. And then I looked when he, Jesus, opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was an earthquake. And I want you to notice the result of that earthquake that is being described for us here in verse 12. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And so this, this was the effect of this earthquake worldwide. Probably so great, the earth omitted this dust and, and debris that blackened out the sun and the moon. And so at, at this point, the entire earth is sitting, uh, mankind is sitting in darkness. And then also notice in verse 13, he goes on to 
described, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs or ripe figs or mature figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So the mountains and the islands flee. So these great geographical changes that take place upon the face of the earth, the result of these cataclysmic judgments. Mountains are moved from its actual and original locations, and such is the case with islands. Verse 15. Now we are introduced to those who are alive and upon the earth. In verse 15. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. The idea here, one of the chief features about this verse of Scripture is, none are exempt from experiencing these judgments. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. If you have a lot of money, it's not going to protect you during this time. You're still going to have to face the judgment of God. And then the cry of these individuals, verse 16 is recorded, and they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice the acknowledgement uh, of concerning the things that are taking place. How are they happening? They're happening by the hand of Jesus himself. They attribute it to, notice there in verse 16, the wrath of the Lamb. And then finally in verse 17, which closes out chapter 6, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Okay, so now we move into chapter 7 here in the book of Revelation. And chapter 7, by the way, is known as a parenthetical chapter. Now, you may be thinking, what is a parenthetical uh, chapter? Well, uh, and how does it differ from some of the other chapters here in the book of a revelation. Well, a parenthetical chapter or text describes a specific event that takes place during the seven years of tribulation, and it doesn't follow any chronological order. It may be an event that takes place during the beginning, or in the middle, or at the end of the seven-year period. And in contrast, other chapters in the book of this Bible, do follow a chronological order. For example, chapter 6. The previous chapter describes the events that take place over the entire seven-year period. For example, if you remember chapter 6 in verse 1, it begins with the Antichrist being revealed, uh, some of the particulars as how he rises to power. As a great politician, he is presented as a man of peace, but when that platform fails, he seeks to control and conquer the world through war, which then is followed by famine, which then is followed by death and hell, all symbolically represented by the four horsemen of the Apocalypse, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and it has to do with the loosening of the first four seals of the seven. Anyway, that's the difference between these types of chapters or texts here in the book of Revelation. So I hope that, that helped you to understand the difference between uh, the regular chapters 
uh, here in the book of Revelation that follow a chronological order and the parenthetical chapters or texts. Okay, with that said, let's move in now to chapter 7, and let's begin by reading verses 1 through uh, 3, and then we'll break this down for you. Now, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, a couple of things that I want to draw your attention to. First of all, I want you to notice the phrase there in verse 1. After these things. After what things? Well, I believe that this is a reference to the things that were uh, that we just described for you in chapter 6 and verses 12 through 14. And that brings us to our first point, and that is the earth decimated. Okay, remember in that text of scripture that we just read, verses 12 through 14, it described for us mountains crumbling, islands fleeing, these great physical changes that take place uh, worldwide, the earth being plummeted by meteorite showers, the earthquakes and such. The inhabitants of the earth are presently sitting in darkness because the sun and the moon fail to give its light. The result of these cataclysmic events taking place. You see, God is venting his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. And notice chapter 6 concludes with the statement there in verse 17, the great day of Christ's wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In the form of a question. And what's the answer to that question? No one is able to stand. You see, so terrible is his wrath that men are pictured trying to flee from it. They're calling on the rocks and the mountains to protect them from it. Notice there in chapter 6, in verses 15 and 16. Now, that brings us to chapter 7. And chapter 7, yes, is also included in this period of judgment, but, and this brings us to our second point, and that is, God pauses to show mercy. Okay, so in the midst of wrath being poured out, God suspends his judgment for a while. And so the judgment winds have been blowing, but now there is a quiet and a lull to the storm. God is offering mercy and salvation to those who will accept it. As we will see in some of our future uh, studies, we'll touch on it a little bit, but there's a great soul harvest that takes place during the seven years of tribulation. I mean, think about it. With all of these judgments, these cataclysmic events, it's almost as if God is pulling out the security blankets from underneath all men. And people don't have any other alternative except to turn to God for their help. They cry out to God for their help. So even in judgment, think about it, we see God's mercy and God's grace. God tempers his judgment, his wrath, with mercy and with grace. So God here is offering mercy and salvation to those who will accept it, thereby preparing for what them, that is, for what is about to come upon the earth. But what's interesting about this is that, yes, they get saved, 
And yes, there is a great soul harvest, but God does not take them out. They remain upon the earth during the entire duration of the seven years of tribulation unless they are martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is similar to our own experience, if you think about it, to a lesser degree under certainly different conditions. But think about it. When God saved us, he didn't make the world system any better, but he did equip us to live in this world that is becoming increasingly worse. You see, the world at its worst will always experience God at his best. And this is particularly true in the life of a believer. You see, that's just who God is. As I've already mentioned, God tempers his wrath and his judgment with grace and mercy. I mean, think about it. In his wrath, he remembered mercy on the night of the Passover in Egypt. Or another example, how about the flood in Noah's day? God prepared an ark at Calvary when he cast the world into darkness and shook the earth during the third hour because of man's sin. In the hour of his son's death on the cross, he could have closed the books on all mankind and he would be just and right in doing so, but instead he remembered mercy and salvation. And so chapter 7 anyway is known as the mercy chapter of the book of Revelation. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice the instruments God uses to suspend judgments there in verse 1 are these angels who possess a prominent position throughout the tribulation period. These awesome, powerful creations of God. And just to give you an idea of how awesome and powerful these creations of God are, these angels, I would remind you of what is recorded for us in 2 Kings in chapter 19 and verse 35. When Israel is surrounded by their enemies, the Assyrians, led by the king Sennacherib, who is threatening good king Hezekiah, Hezekiah is the king of, of Israel, he's mocking uh, Israel, he's mocking Hezekiah, but then he went as far as to mock Israel's God, and that's where he made a big mistake. And so, in relationship to those threats, God sent his angel, and in one night, wiped out 185,000 of Sennacherib's soldiers. And so in the morning, when King Hezekiah got up and looked out from his vantage point down into the valley where the Assyrian troops had camped, there were these motionless dead bodies strewn all over the valley. And then we are told, and we shouldn't be surprised, that Sennacherib departed and went home and stayed home there in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital at that time of Assyria. Now, these are those same creations of God to whom it's been given to intervene in our affairs, in the affairs of man, on our behalf. Folks, that's mercy. That's God's grace. In the 91st Psalm, in verses 11 and 12, there we are told, He's given His angels charge over us, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So these awesome creations of God. 
So here we're introduced to these four angels. Notice again, let's go back to our text, verse 1. They're standing upon the four corners of the earth, the north, south, east, west corners of the earth, and they're holding back the winds of judgment. The angels are told, notice, not to hurt the earth or the sea or the trees till the servants of God are sealed. And so the tribulation days are days of hurting, but this sealing angel that we are introduced to here in verse 2 of our text preserves certain ones, and those certain ones are referenced here in verse 3. They are preserved from this hurting. Now, during the seven years of tribulation. Now, who are these individuals? Well, that brings us to our third point, and that is the sealed of Israel. And they're described for us in verses 4 through 8 of chapter 7. But let's only read verse 4, and then I'll remark on the remainder of verses that are part of that text. Verse 4, And I heard the number of those who were sealed, so this is the those who were sealed by the angel, the sealing angel, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And then verses 5 through 8 go through the various tribes and names the uh, 12 tribes. So there's 12,000 individuals from the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 in all. So judgment is suspended until these 144,000 Jews are sealed by this angel. And they are literal Israelites. Notice that there is not a Gentile among them. Now, this is not the church, as some people have suggested, uh, because the church has already been raptured. Remember Revelation in chapter 4. This is not some new entity of the church. It's not some present-day adherence. It's not a sect. It's not a cult. It's not the Jehovah Witnesses, whom at one time they used to claim to be this 144,000 that's being described and depicted for us here in this text. That is, until their membership exceeded 144,000. And now I don't know how they go about explaining exactly who they are. But simply verse 4, here in chapter 7, tell us that these 144,000 are children of Israel. So the sealed remnant of Jews not having received the gospel before the rapture of the church has taken place, will now turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now this is just a remnant of all of Israel. And during this time, as I mentioned before, there's going to be a great soul harvest. But particularly, there will uh, uh, take place a, a great soul harvest in Israel, throughout Israel. There will be a revival uh, throughout Israel. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.